0: all these tweets about artists saying they can finally make a living at art and artists actually making money. Cause like the kind of the whole thing with the stock photography, where you know, people are paid like one cent or four cents or whatever for, for their art or for their photo or video. It was just so insulting.
1: hey wiki hunters welcome back to the art of photography podcast where we share artists' journey and share how photography given us whole purpose and happiness and today we have somebody who i've met through twitter and it's pretty cool actually i have i haven't chat with her too much but just going through some of her photograph it got me intrigued and i want to have her here in the podcast and talk about her journey Good morning, Christine. Welcome to the Art of Photography podcast, or actually it's evening in your place, isn't it?
0: Well, yeah, I can say good morning because it's good morning. (laughs) There's always good morning in the NFT world.
1: (laughs) That is true. It is always good morning. That is so funny. I I remember um, I asked this question a while back. It's like, Is it GM or GM? Like, how do you, you know, which one do you say? It's like, it's always a GM. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, listeners, if you're not in the NFT world or in the Web3 world, GM means good morning. It took me, I think, about four months trying to figure that out. That that was so funny. Very excited to have you here. So before we get started, just tell us a little bit about who you are and what got you into photography?
0: Well. I am mostly like a a travel and nature photographer but I've actually done a lot of different types of photography Um, but it all kind of started when I was a a child and I just I had I'm I'm 57 so I you know I remember what a pocket camera was some people who are older will know what that is but it was like kind of like this like oblong kind of rectangular like little thing and i and i had one of those and i was an exchange student in germany um when i was in high school and i had an aunt that gave me she's like oh you seem to take good photos she's like you can borrow my my slr camera and so she lent me this camera and the funny thing is that it was a it was totally manual but the light meter was broken and so if you can believe it i just guessed to what to set to set it i actually looked at the film that i bought and it said you know like if it's sunny then they use like 125 and then f11 and so that's what i would do and i kind of just guessed and the thing is it's like i don't know i, I was shooting um negative films so there's some leeway but like it seems like that my photos like when i would get them developed they were like you know they were exposed properly so but that um so i travel i was in school in germany and i traveled around and then when i came back and showed people my photos they were like, oh, you have a good eye for photography, and so when I graduated from high school, I asked my parents to, I said I would like to have, like, my own camera, because I had given that one back to my aunt, so then they got me a Canon, and that's when I started, you know, I don't know, just kind of experimenting, and when I would travel, I kind of mostly would sh- shoot whenever I would travel, and then eventually, I Um, A couple of years after that, like in my early twenties, I started taking photography classes. So I learned how to develop film, um, like, you know, black and white photography and then developing it in the, in the dark room and everything. And that was like a lot of fun and just doing the assignments that um, I was given. But early on, I actually started photographing when I was doing black and white, I photographed food and I did all these kind of interesting, like kind of still lifes with food. And my, my parents still have some of those like on their walls, Uh, some of them were like milk and cookies, uh, kind of, uh, and, or like milk and eggs, and that sort of thing, and, um, and I guess I started, when I moved to San Francisco in the early 90s, I started shooting more portraits, and I still was taking photography classes, and um, I was working in an office, and um, somebody asked me if they, if I could take photos of them and their boyfriend and so I started doing portraits and then like kind of word spread and so then I started photographing people's kids and then like um even somebody's wet, a wedding or two and that sort of thing so I and uh, after headshots and I kind of started that's how I started doing like more professional photography and um so I I did kind of start out more with portraiture but then when I would travel then I would just photograph when I would travel and I guess I I started doing travel, like more travel, travel photography, like uh, around the year 2000, 2001, and I started shooting slides. And I actually um, was accepted by a stock agency, and that started like my experience with stock agencies, which I'm sure, as most people know, are really like it's really kind of horrible right now. But like back then it was a little bit different and it was all like slides and even the agency I went in person in San Francisco and would like deliver my slides and um and I had some sales I mean it wasn't anything huge but then I swear it was super quick even just like a few years after that like the sales decreased and the prices decreased I don't know. It seemed like when it started with digital photography, because like I was excited about digital photography, and I switched to digital in two thousand four. But once it became, it seemed like it became easier and more accessible, and people started shooting more photos. Because like when I used to shoot slides, I used to like look through my slides like on. Um, I would look through my sl- slides with a loop, and also look at the exposures because you had to bracket your exposures. And I would sit at a table and I have a light box, and then I would just toss the ones on the floor that were bad, like that I was gonna throw away, which seems like such a horrible waste. So I'm kind of glad that I'm not doing that sort of thing anymore. It's like threw away like all this film, all the like chemicals and developing and just throwing like all these slides away. So that's kind of how I I got into that sort of photography. And then later on, I actually worked as a um, photo researcher in textbook publishing. And that actually was supposed to be a part-time job. And then I wanted to basically be a full-time photographer, but I was never very good at marketing myself. And so I kind of stuck with the stock photography thing, but through my work in working for a publisher as a photo researcher, sometimes they needed photos to be photographed specifically for some of the science textbooks I was working on. And so they started hiring me as a photographer. So I started shooting for the textbook publisher. But like professional photography was always like a part-time job for me. So I always had like another main job. And unfortunately, like I kind of wanted like that just to be a part-time job, the photo research and then to be mainly be a photographer, but I ended up it ended up being reversed and I got more and more work as a photo researcher and and not as much work as a photographer. And then just because of the way, the business changed with textbook publishing and also stock photography. I started doing less and less photography and I didn't shoot for the publisher anymore. And even the photo research was going to um, over- overseas. So I, I kind of, I'm at the point now where I work as a project manager in textbook publishing. And, and then I work for Sloica, um doing social media marketing on mostly on twitter and and then there's still the photography which started i started making more money finally again on photography because of nfts because i mean like the stock photography you can actually if you look at my sales in the stock agencies that i'm in the prices just get lower and lower and lower and recently i actually had some sales and they gave me one cent (laughs) like the agency sold something for two cents and they gave me one cent and I'm like are you kidding me
1: (laughs) no a hundred percent you know like seeing the market kind of move that way I mean you know um, I think I it took me a while to understand that you know that's not how you make money through through stock photography Um, and it, it I only know this when I was talking to, um, Paul Ziska, actually the one, um, um, one of the first pers- person that, um, I interview in, in this podcast. And I asked him about, you know, stock photography, is it worth it? And, you know, the way he approached it is the way you approach it back then. It's not, um, it's not going through these stock size sites, but actually going direct to the consumer the people that are looking for it you know whether in it's an agency or the actual company and it, it, that's how it's being um valued a lot more compared to stock photos but you're right you know and nowadays it's so hard because iPhone take a great photo right yeah so then it's not necessarily i mean we all know that in order to be a good photographer it's not just the camera but you know from that the mindset kind of shift you know the value kind of decrease so from someone who been shooting all the way back from the film era you know to the digital era and now i could say to the mobile phone era how do you see the value shifted along these years and what what do you think about that Well,
0: it's really actually disappointing that the value shifted. And I mean, it depends on the type of photography too. So like travel photography, I mean, I mean, just kind of, if you do photography where you're using models and you're doing setups, that's actually like a totally different thing. But if you're actually shooting things like lens, you know, kind of landscapes and travel, not kind of really complicated landscape, but the kind of, there's also just the really like oh this is a nice landscape to show a place you might want to travel to or I mean that was the kind of photography that I did I mean I did other things on my own that was kind of separate like kind of more artistic and stuff but like the main thing I mean like when I first started doing travel photography sorry um photography that wasn't also travel I mean on Alamy like I some of my most popular images were like a bowl of potato chips you know, so <laughs> I actually kind of was like sort of a little bit upset about that. I'm like, well, like my beautiful landscapes don't sell, but like this bowl of potato chips keeps like being sold. Um, although recently my my most common uh, on Alamy that is, has been sold in the past like few years is this photo of a tree growing in a rock, what's called root, root wedging. So I've worked on, I was working on science textbooks and finding photos of science textbooks. And I needed to find a photo of root wedging. It was so difficult to find it. And then I went on a hike and I saw the perfect root wedging photo. And so I took a photo of that. And then now people are using my photo probably in geology textbooks or other things to deal with that to illustrate it. So, I mean, there's lots of photography that's like that, where you're illustrating something for like a textbook or they just need a photo of an apple or something like that. But I mean, like... I mean, I I just can't imagine if I could take like a better Apple than like a lot of other people have already photographed an Apple. (laughs) But, you know, at some point, like it was kind of new and there wasn't as many, but there's more and more people in that. And as for equipment, I mean, I can take actually really nice photos on my iPhone. And so and people can actually have the same phone and take like crappy photos, too. So, I mean, like there it is has to me, it's more I mean, there is like a certain quality if you want to enlarge something. Um,
1: yeah, I can print it's... it
0: or, or if you want to make a lot of do a lot of editing to it and that sort of thing. I mean, there is like that quality that is not quite the same, but I mean, like they're getting better and better. I mean, like when I was doing a shoot of some light beams, uh, in a redwood forest recently, I would actually test the scene with my phone and then I would shoot with my camera and my camera looked really awful. like in the, in the viewfinder because like the phone was like processing it and then also when i would get the raw photos they was i'm like oh my god i have to make this look like my phone
1: <laughs> that, that, that is funny and um, <laughs> you you're right like you know the the phone are incredible nowadays right and it's with the ai and the processing you know yep. um it, it helps a lot even though it has a small camera and i feel like that's what um, and the other thing that you said was also um, 100% right. You know, um, just because you have a good camera doesn't make you a better photographer. Just because you have a, a, a an iPhone camera doesn't make you a bad photographer. It's a lot to do with who you are as a photographer and the way you know you interpret the scene. But I think people kind of mindset with that. With people, with everyone being able to take a photo nowadays instead of, you know, doing all the settings, yeah. that kind of take away a lot of the the value, the perceived value, I suppose. So that was really interesting. Um, you know, it, I love hearing your story that, you know, you started all the way from the film, trying to figure yeah. it out and all the way to your digital. To the digital. So you kind of share, you know, how you got started in photography. Um and, you know, some of the things that you have photog- photographed over the these years. But what um, I want to hear about your excitement. Why? What type of photography make you really excited? Or what, uh, what makes you got into photography in the first place that, you know, make you stay there and to a point that you want to go to school in photography and learn more about it?
0: you know, it's kind of this odd thing, but it's almost like a compulsion. Like, some people say it's a passion for them, but for me, like, I feel like I really want to, like, if I see something, I, I want to capture it. Like, I, I can't just be like, oh, that's cool. Like, I have, I, I feel like this, this urge to, like, to preserve it. Um, I, And I don't even know if it's, like, to show other people, or just, like, to have it for myself. For me, it's both. But, like, for instance, I also, another thing that I, I, I did in the past was I I, I did, um, I, I used to be an aerial dancer. So I did like kind of trapeze and circus stuff and like uh, aerial silks. And I have some friends in Seattle that have an aerial dance company and I used to photograph their shows. And, um. and the thing is, is like, when I photographed the show, I felt like I can't couldn't really watch it because I was so focused on the photography. So then what I started on doing, started doing was I would go and visit them and then I would shoot, I would, ha- I I would just watch one, sh- watch a show. And then I would do a second, watch a second show where I would do the photography. And I thought, well, that's good because I'll prepare for it. But then the show that I was watching and not shooting, I just felt like, oh my God, I'm missing all these like shots. <laughs> like all these moments even though I knew that like I was going to like watch it like the second day like I just like and if I if I actually just watched the show and wasn't shooting it for some reason I would just feel like I was missing out somehow you know like that I mean and just recently I was in in Portland and I took a um it was like an aerial tram there and there was like it was a beautiful clear day and you could see Mount Hood and I took a, a photo With my phone because that's my phone is with a camera that I have with me all the time because I don't carry like my equipment around all the time so I was just there for another reason and so I was like oh that looks great and I took a photo of it uh, in the background but with like the foreground of um, uh, a tree with like autumn leaves on it so then whenever I was going back it was sunset. And I was like in the tram, and I'm looking at the sunset and the lighting on Mount Hood, and I'm like, oh my God, I was just like, I couldn't like wait. I was like, afraid I was gonna miss it, you know. But I mean, the thing is, is like I could have just enjoyed it and looked at it. Like I couldn't really photograph it from the tram because there there were things in the way, and also the windows were dirty. So I, I was just mm-hmm. like chomping at the bit to like get up to the top so that I could run out and like go and take a photo, which I did get it, but it was just on the verge of almost being too late. You know a little bit too dark. it would have been better if I was there just a few minutes early, but it's just like I don't know I just I guess I always feel it's just like a compulsion of wanting to capture a visual a, a moment i guess
1: yeah that's uh that's but... interesting uh, <laughs> i I also um you know felt like that at times and um the you know what what you just mentioned about you know take having the phone with you and taking a phone with uh taking the photo with a phone is a good example of how you know the best camera that you could own is the one that uh, the that one you with yourself <laughs> yeah that you have and uh, that is uh, such a good uh, example of that um saying um and going back to what you say about the compulsion uh, about experience and it's it's really cool to hear um how you approach that photography with the aerial dance and you know performances where you want to experience it but you also want to take photo of it and you you combine the two by doing different things and it's I find that it's interesting um I, I want to ask you uh, um how do you balance between uh, trying to just enjoy the moment right to just being there and let your eyes and your your body enjoy the experience whatever it is that you have versus taking your camera out and actually enjoying it to your camera because at the end of the day, there are two different experiences, but mm. what you said earlier was hundred percent true. It's, it's, it's not easy to be able to have uh, a connection with the nature, for example, or the Milky Way for my case, and you know, continuously taking photo, there has to be a balance. So how do you do that when you go out there, for example, for your uh, travel photography or uh, from some of your other photography?
0: Yeah, that's it's kind of yeah, I agree with you and sometimes I think to myself, maybe I should just like take photos less and not do I just can't. I just can't just do it without like I, you know, I'll just be carrying a bunch of like equipment because especially like in landscape photography, you know, like I end up like climbing like a mountain or something, you know, because I like to to do that sort of thing. And it would be a lot easier to like not bring like photo equipment with me. <laughs> and admittedly when i go backpacking i don't bring a tripod like i'm kind of focused on just like the trip but i i do bring my camera i try to bring something that's light as possible it's one of the reasons i switched to um, mirrorless because like i was tired of lugging my canon gear around and and i and i actually didn't go for full frame i have a fuji fuji film I went for the crop sensor because I had smaller lenses. I was like, I don't, I'm going to have a tiny camera with a giant lens, just like my old lenses that I had from my Canon, you know? So, um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I torture myself for photography, like for dragging tripods around. I even went in this like tiny, this like this slot canyon that you could barely walk through with a tripod. <laughs> a monopod would have been better, honestly, but like, so, yeah. But I yeah, just like cool. wanted I wanted the shots, and so I wanted to. It's I guess it's like, not just a compulsion to capture a moment, but to create something out of the moment. You know, but like it is. I don't know if it's a compulsion for other. Have you ever heard other people say that that it feels like that? Like you just have to do it.
1: Ah, uh, I mean, um, I I felt the same. You know, mm-hmm. I I used to do that, and um, when I first probably the first two years of my photography i was always I like that um you know every single moment i want to capture it <laughs> i literally have my camera uh, which i i have a 5d mark 4 so it's really heavy right um massive camera and i would take it everywhere even just for uh for a dinner or for lunch but i decided that i want to um, you know, it 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 separate myself from uh, the people and um the actual uh, experience. So I started to step back a little bit. And yeah, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that because I haven't heard people mentioning that. But I know that you know it is in us. You know, we love photography, yeah. and photography is about moment, right? So when there is good moment pop up, it's only natural that we want to capture it. <laughs> it's 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 in our blood. So.
0: But if there's people in that moment, actually taking photos actually changes the moment too.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I feel like that it does. And um, although I kind of, I used to take photos more of people. And then I kind of, it's, it wasn't intentional, but I kind of veered away from that. And until I was hardly photographing people anymore. Like when I used to, was doing travel photography, I always had a lot of people photos in there. And then I kind of shifted and then it became like more of nature and animals and um and i kind of i actually kind of miss that and i kind of feel like maybe i should like and 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 i and i forget to do slap shops like like when i was traveling in iceland i traveled a bit with uh two friends that live in europe and and both of them if it wasn't for them i probably would never i wouldn't have any pictures of us or them I mean, maybe I might take a picture of them, like if they were kind of like a person in a landscape, like my one friend had a red jacket. It was awesome. And so she was like my red jacket person in all these like landscapes. But like, I wouldn't think of like doing like a selfie or or asking someone, hey, take a picture of us together. Like, it's not that I don't want that. It's actually nice to have it like when it's over. But like, I don't even think about it. Like, I'm always like thinking about like creating like a scene rather than just like taking the picture of us. (laughs)
1: You know, I know exactly how that feel. Um, I think about, um, uh, a couple of years back, um, you know, someone asked me, it's like, Hey, can you send me your, your, uh, a portrait or a photo of you? And I was like trying to think, I don't have one. Like literally I went through all of my photo. I don't have a good photo of me looking at the camera. <laughs> Every one of them is from my back. So I know exactly how you feel. And, um, um, yeah, it's it's interesting to be a, you know, a landscape uh, or, you know, a travel photographer, because most of the time you're at the back of a camera. Um, so it's, it's really cool hearing your story and uh, really hearing how you transition across, you know, from the the film to the digital you actually learn um everything you know the settings (laughs) you actually get thrown into the settings because uh the auto mode didn't work on your very first camera or you know your anti-camera at that time and i find that really cool now when it comes to doing photography as a way to make a living is that something you always wanted to do or do you always try, um, you know, you, you always, um, you only want to do that part time, um, to, to preserve the experience of being a, a photographer itself. Well,
0: that's an interesting question because yes, I, my dream job was, um, as many people have the same dream job of, is like being like a national geographic photographer, like traveling the world and having like assignments and like doing something really super interesting. Um, and, and that was kind of always in my mind. And like, I know that I, I could create kind of uh, even just for myself of like an idea and do a shoot like that. But it's, I, I just kind of, I don't know, I just kind of never have done it. I guess I kind of was afraid. I know that was um, one thing that I, I didn't take a lot of risks um, and always had like a backup job and never tried just to be a photographer and um I mean I did work in photography because I was like as a photo researcher and then I was doing a lot of photography within that job also um but to just be a freelance photographer and try to make money, and I actually never I tried to be a commercial photographer I never have the guts to see like say like I want to be a fine art photographer I just felt like that was just like so unattainable I mean but I know there are people that do that, but I, I just didn't have it in me to try for that. So, um, and I have gone through periods of time where I was shooting, I was trying to shoot for stock or I was just shooting for like the textbook, you know, um, I, I shot, um, food. One thing that I really, one of the best jobs that I've ever had was super interesting was I, uh, it was for the textbook publisher. I photographed the dissection of two cadavers for an anatomy textbook and that was really interesting and I often will say that that was one of the best jobs I ever had because it was just so fascinating and it was very lucrative too and um I I even thought to myself maybe I should be a cadaver photographer but I (laughs) I don't know if i always want to do that um be around all the formaldehyde and I don't think there's that many calls I mean only for like kind of like textbooks and that sort of thing like medical books or something (laughs) but um but it was a super cool experience and um so I did have some interesting things but if you only start to it, it and somebody that I met recently actually is a photographer in that and I said, well, what kind of photography do you do? And he says, I do photography that people will pay me. If somebody pays him, then he photographs and he doesn't photograph in any other way. And I'm like, I mean, that's fine. Like if you have the technical skills, you can do that. And like, and I actually had gotten to a certain point probably about like maybe nine years ago where I just felt burned out because I was just, I would photograph and people paid me. Like the textbook publisher, or sometimes I did, um, I've, I, I actually photographed um, marijuana, or like a dispensary, like a milkware, that was interesting too, or like products, I did like products and stuff like that, but, um, I kind of got burned out a little bit because I just was shooting just to make, just because someone was paying me, or I would think that I might make money, like just doing the stock photography, and so then I started doing some long exposure photography, um, just like for myself, I did some self-portraits, uh, with long exposure where I was a a ghost I call my my ghost photos um and I really love my ghost photos they're some of my favorite photos I've ever taken although I feel like other people don't like them as much as me I mean like some people are my friends seem to really like them like people that know me but other people are seem kind of lukewarm about my ghost photos but (laughs) so but those kind of were photos for me and that kind of like sparked like kind of a Um, some creativity like I was just shooting photography I was just shooting just to create something to be creative not like because I someone was paying me
1: yeah that's incredible so is that how you got out of your burnout
0: that's how I got out of my burnout
1: oh that's fantastic and that's that's really interesting right um we I, I haven't heard anyone who got into photography because they want to make a lot of money right even the people who decide to do photography as a profession they started it because they enjoy photography you know they and then they just want to do more of it but over time the the money aspect kind of hit you and you know you become burnout because you uh you 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 stop creating for yourself and so yeah. forth so when you had this burnout and then you find a way to get out of it what did you learn like how did you stop stop it from happening again so that you don't get the same burnout you know in a year two year or five years and so forth
0: well actually that kind of stopped because I stopped getting <laughs> I stopped getting um, jobs like doing photography for the textbook publisher and I I I kind of just didn't I just didn't do that anymore and then I just basically then just was that's when i kind of veered more into um landscape photography because that's what i just felt i just did what i felt like doing and then i put those in stock agencies and if they sold then that was fine um so i kind of stopped pursuing kind of more of the commercial photography and just shot what i felt like shooting and yeah i also didn't make that much money from it either so and then of course the stock I was just putting in the stock agencies so
1: um, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, so you basically just you know do photography more for yourself um, and stop <laughs> stop, stop yeah. um, you know doing it for everyone else. And but, um, I mean, it
0: goes through phases. It's like if something like, for instance, I'm going to Florida next week to visit my parents, but I love to photograph the birds when I go to Florida. So I feel I'll feel excited. Like so I haven't been shooting since I got back from Iceland. Um, well, I have like 1,700 photos I need to like you know go through and process. So like, that's time consuming, but I'm kind of like in a resting phase right now. And I'm not, I haven't been, well, it's only been like a little over a month since I was back, but, um, I, um, I think that like, you know, when I go to Florida, I'll, I'll do some photography of birds. Cause I always like, like to photograph the birds there.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. It's, um, really interesting you know um it's it's funny how it kind of worked that way with um photography and careers and sometimes you kind of hit the wall because you stop creating and being um genuine about what you wanted from your photography so thanks a lot for sharing that um so one thing that i'm curious you told us that you are part of the sloika team you know doing their marketing but um, in the beginning, you told us that um, y- you weren't very good at marketing, and now you got a job in the marketing, right? And I know that as an artist, like I was, I was struggling with marketing a lot. I think I am still struggling, but I am much better. You know, at least um, I kind of know what I'm doing. But it's just like you know, the 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 struggle with myself um, doing marketing is just very difficult because. Um, I'm I'm more a creative person. I'm not, you know, a a sailing sort of person. Now, how do you transition across? Because we know that if you do want to make, if you don't want to sell your photography, if you do want to make money from your photography, you need to be able to market your photography, your art um, out there. And we have seen this over and over again where people who have incredible images, but not a good marketing skills, Aren't able to sell their photograph versus people who have, you know, a, a decent photograph. Like nothing crazy, but it's 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 good. It's not superb or excellent or you know, um, crazy beautiful. But they are able to sell. So, what have you learned from this experience so that the listeners can take, um, you know, pieces away uh, from that and apply it to their own journey.
0: Well, I think for one thing, it's easier to market somebody else's art than your own. And that's like kind of known. And so that's why the NFT space on Twitter is so nice because people are always like, are helping each other. Um, And when I first entered the NFT space, uh, I only had like 68 followers on Twitter. And if I would tweet something, like nobody would see it or comment or anything. Um, and, And I was able to, from like early november to basically like january 1st to go from 68 to 800 followers i i basically built up my followers and kind of just jumped right into the nft space and i kind of I, I don't know i became good at twitter basically but all i did was i just interact i i i was really excited and i was excited by like everyone's photos that I was seeing on there and so I was kind of very hyper tweeting I tweeted like crazy I like retweeted everybody's work and was excited and like said all the I just kind of interacted with so many people that it just and then I started doing those like art threads where I I remember the first one I did was on New Year's Eve and I thought oh probably because I saw other people do them and I thought well maybe I'll get more followers and more like you know interaction by by doing that. And I did it. I put a photo of a lone tree that was my own. And I said, share your lone trees with me. And I thought, Oh, it's new year's Eve. There's no one's, no one's gonna even respond. It was huge. I mean, there was like, I mean, I think that there was like, I don't know how many retweets, but like 800 likes and like, it just exploded. And I was like, Whoa. And so then I kept doing that. But the thing is, is like, whenever I, I was doing this I was kind of trying to say something and retweet on almost every photo that somebody put there and there was a lot of there was like hundreds and hundreds of them and, and, it, and it was very time consuming so basically I got to that point from a, by being on Twitter almost like 16 hours a day or something I was basically on Twitter like almost entire day because my work is slow in the winter with my the textbook publishing and so it was kind of like you know like November December and I was just kind of on Twitter like a lot and interacting with a lot of people. And I was kind of successful at building my own Twitter following. And so with Sloika, I took Sloika from 2,500. Like I, whenever they were hiring somebody, I applied for the job and then they decided to give me a chance. And then I think at the end of January, I think there's like 2,500 followers. And then by, I'm not sure when we hit 17,000, but we hit 17,000 in September. But I think it was in the first few months that it got to like 10,000 pretty fast, probably within like two or three months. So I kind of just did the same thing for Flika that I did. So my job for them, the marketing, is kind of just like operate. It's mostly just operating the Twitter. Um, and yeah,
1: so. Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. And um, but I
0: think the key is to just interact. It's just that it's very time consuming. <clears throat> I mean, for me in the NFT space, it was being in, um, being, it was very helpful to be in a, a um a collective because i was involved in being a collective in like may and i got to know like a lot of photographers in that collective like really like more so than just kind of in the space and also in like chat groups and um and being in spaces is important too but like that's like so time consuming uh and i often will try to do that and then work at the same time and it kind of doesn't really work because then i don't pay attention to the space and i don't pay attention to my work <laughs> but i have done that tried to be doing that like many times but so it's kind of a little bit frustrating but it was basically just and another thing that was important when i first started entering the space like when i was a beginner i felt like lost And I kind of like dug around and found information I need, even just what like good morning means and friend and and like all this kind of like lingo that people used. I kind of had to figure out on my own and and I I could ask people, but nobody offered. No one came up and said, oh, you're new here. Like, let me help you. And the thing is, like, once I was kind of got used to it and learned it myself, I actually when new people would come in the space, I would actually help them. And I discovered I really liked doing that. And. And I kept doing it, and that's how it, it was like kind of. I mean, I don't know when you entered the NFT world on Twitter, but like, it was kind of so many people and just kind of wild in like November, December, January, February.
1: Yeah, 100%, the end of last year, 100%. beginning of this
0: year. So, but yeah,
1: hundred percent. So that
0: was another thing so, yeah. that I learned that I I learned that I really I enjoyed. Helping people—it made me feel like I had a purpose because I'm kind of some. Sometimes I'm struggling with that, like feeling like kind of having a a strong purpose in life.
1: Cool. Thanks a lot for sharing that. Yeah. um, I. I mean, you know, it's that's that's really cool. You know, um, just trying to figure it out. And I know NFT is a really difficult space to get into. A lot of people. It's it's a difficult concept to 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 learn and to understand as well. So, you know. You figuring it out and helping the people who kind of jump in there and onboarding. I think that's a really cool thing to do. Um, yeah, I'd um, you know thanks a lot for doing that because that really helps open up uh, the world of NFT. Now we're starting to get you know into the NFT world here, and you know the listeners out there might have heard of it, might not have heard of mm-hmm. it, but there are a lot of um, skepticism behind the nft right is it real is it a scam like what is this so i'm quite interesting interested to hear what pulled you into the nft world and what do you think about nft well
0: i'm glad you asked me that question because what pulled me into it like when i entered this when when i found this little community, when i found the community on twitter um what pulled me in was and like to hear these like success stories that is what pulled me in and I was like I want to be part of this because I want to be part of something that is going to change this because I really felt like I wanted it to change it just seemed unfair and um and so just it was basically people's stories that and I was just excited like I I saw a lot of there was a lot of astrophotography that i saw in the very beginning like the milky way photography and i was just like so wild by that and i was like ah, oh, you know and i kind of it was just seeing everyone's beautiful work it's just kind of was exciting and there was like this kind of i mean i as since we're in a bear market as you know like it's not the same anymore but but there's people still excited about it and um, and still excited about photography because, I mean, you can't just put photography only in NFTs. I mean, I actually made some, some money like a hell of a lot more than I did whenever I was, you know, from stock photography. <laughs> so, I mean, that's like kind of and, and it also inspired me to try new things. Like I, I got a drone this summer. And uh, I flew my drone in Iceland, and um, I actually really love love that. And I I really want to explore that. And I also I photographed the Milky Way for the first time this uh, like summer also, and I still haven't processed it. <laughs> I mean, I kind of started, but I kind of felt like a little bit lost. So I, but I'll I'll see you know how it goes, and then figure out how to do it properly. But it was Crater Lake.
1: Um, Beautiful. Congratulations for your first Milky Way um, photo. And I mean, I'm an astrophotographer and I, um, I teach astrophotography as well. So when whenever people say, I just take my first astrophotography, I got really <laughs> excited. Uh, how is that experience? Um, I, I know we kind of, I'll bring it back to NFT, but mm-hmm. I just want to know, how is that experience being able to capture the Milky Way for the very first time?
0: Well, what was interesting is like when I, we, I've seen... Of course, I've seen the Milky Way, but actually not I've but not been in situations where I've seen it that often. And so um I have this memory of it, but I didn't photograph it. And it looked it was a beautiful night at very clear at Crater Lake, but it's not as distinct as it is in the photos. It's kind of like um the Aurora Borealis. It's the same. Like you can see it with your eye, but it's not. And I did see that in Iceland on, on two different trips and photographed that. um And it, it it looks it's more dramatic whenever you actually photograph it than it is when you actually just look at it. And so that's how I feel like it is with like the Milky Way photos. Um, and it, and I actually met somebody that I met off Twitter. Um, and we actually photographed together because she was traveling uh to crater lake and she mentioned it and she's actually experienced with uh it's arwen i don't know if you know arwen but like yeah so she i kind of learned like a bit from her kind of watching what what she did also so um but i do want to try it again but um it i i feel like that it's it's ra- it's rather complicated. Um, just. Uh, I think the post-processing even more than the shooting part. (laughs) But if it wasn't for her, like, so it was kind of amazing, but it was also like really uncomfortable because it was uh, a wind picked up and it was like really freezing. There was still snow. Uh, It was June, but there was still snow (laughs) where we were and it wasn't cold actually like temperature wise where we were at the parking lot, but when we went to the area where we needed to shoot it from, it was just like the wind had picked up and it was just like freezing. <laughs> so it was kind of my first experience was like kind of uncomfortable physically because then you have to keep waiting and like doing these really long exposures. So, and she did really super long. She did some that were like five minutes. She just said these like these ones that were super long. And then, you know, shooting like a, several photos to later piece together as a panorama.
1: Yeah, panorama. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, it's 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 actually not complicated at all, and um, I I could you know once you know the the ins and outs, it's not complicated at all, and um, you know that's uh, that's why I I, I teach the astro photography because a lot of people are thinking it's complicated but it's actually pretty simple once you know the step-by-step process. So yeah, we we can, um, you know, if you have time, I'm happy, or, you know, um, we can do it some other time. Um, yeah. I'm happy to help you with um, the post-processing or whatever question you have. Um, sorry, I just got excited. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, well, okay, actually, whatever. it's
0: exciting. I wanted to, actually, I, I did, I was interested in that and wanted to like, try to do it myself, so but I, uh, I guess yeah. that, that kind of like makes me feel like, okay, I should be, go back and try to process those photos that I that I took.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to see it. It would be great. Um so when when you get into the coming back to the NFT, right? Um mm-hmm. you got there because you felt like there are more value to your photography instead of people paying three cents you know, yeah. for your photograph. Um, you actually get something that um worthwhile, right? Something of value. And we know that money is important but as an artist i think there's something more important behind that the fact that our art is being valued for what it is it doesn't matter what genre it is and that was you know h- how i felt now when you when you come into the nft world um and you know what we have right now um do you have, how does your expectation, you know, or, you know, what you imagine it to be versus the reality, what was some of the goods and the bads within the, the, the space that we need to improve upon, you know, because we want to bring more people in this space, but the, there's so many, um, I suppose, skepticism, um, negative talk around it. So I'd like to hear a little bit from your perspective especially working from one of the platform right you will get a lot of exposure to this um in terms of you know people saying this or that and you know different people opinion what are some of the things that you see are a good point and there are some of the things that we could improve upon in this space
0: well i mean what initially attracted me to it was also that like there's there's a problem with um Sumard um addressed this in one of her early NFTs where she, like the Hawaii photo, where she released that because people kept stealing it, you know, because uh, as a photo researcher, um, a lot of times authors of textbooks think, and and I think just people in general, they think that because something's on the internet, like you can just use it, like, oh yeah, it's like everywhere, like, you know, but I mean, that's not true. I mean, there's like, you know, you have to get permission to use it unless the person specifically says that anybody can use it and and so people will just steal things off the internet um and just use them as they wish and um so i mean she sold that nft for like i don't know like 100 ethereum i don't know what that would have been at the time like a huge amount of money (laughs) um like i don't know like three hundred thousand dollars or something like that um but uh she released it to the world that anybody could use it, although she wanted to be credited. And I, I kind of was really like inspired by that. I was actually very inspired by her because I heard her story. I, I watched a video of how she came into the NFT world and and how she had no work because of COVID, because of like she wasn't able to do like the photography workshops. So um I think just kind of like solidifying ownership, like saying, okay, like it's kind of like this mark, like this is, I am the creator of this piece of digital art. Like, you know, I I, I think that is good about NFTs. Um, and also I think in the future to like if you purchase, uh, when I first started in um, selling NFTs, I was selling photos. My first things I sold photos of were Redwood Forest. And if someone bought an NFT, then I would uh donate money to save the redwoods organization and that is i i I see someone recently that has uh like there's other and other other people that have fundraisers where if you purchase an nft like 100 of it will go to like as a donation i mean you can just ask for donations but i mean it's actually common if you do donations sometimes if you do some donations to something um you sometimes get like a, a physical product or some kind of product in return for that like as a thank you and nfts can be also used for something like that and i think that there in the future there can be a lot of um various uses for it not just for art and uh, i am not very involved in the kind of like the profile picture you know like the the apes and punks and all that like i I'm not really involved in that, so I don't really have much knowledge about about that aspect of it and, and I think that's what most people who aren't involved in it, that's what they think about because that's what's like in the in the media because those are the ones that are have gone you know for so much money and people hear about. so that's what they think nFTs are that they're only that.
1: yeah, that's a really good um point, you know um I saw um I know what you were talking about with Cassimard um. Uh, early campaign and it was I think it was one of her I think one of the biggest wins that she had I know she you know she had the crazy sales even before that mm-hmm. I mean she's such a phenomenal photographer and just so inspiring um, but yeah for uh, the listener who kind of don't know the context basically that Hawaii photo has been stolen over and over again, where it's been reposted. It's been used as a licensed item without her getting paid. And she would show this crazy list of, you know, uh, disputes against them. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, she, she put that as an NFT and she got probably you know all her um all, all the worth of that whole uh, photo over the lifetime of it and even more right and I think mm-hmm. that's that's so empowering it, that is just so empowering to the artists you know the the fact that we need to share our photograph out there but most of the time when we share our photograph in the internet it would get stolen. <laughs> <laughs> you know and and solved solve some of that problem i know it's not 100% there yet but we're we're still early and like you say you know with the donations and charities you know i see going forward where we you know it all just happens seamlessly through the smart contract without people being there and that kind of cut, cut a lot of corruption and um you know um basically people stealing away from it because it goes directly to the people of course at the end of the day you know people are the one behind it so there's always a chance that's but it, it it cut a lot of that down so that's that's what's really cool about it and um, I love that you brought that up well um thank you very much for being here Kristen and um it's um, it's great to have the conversation with you. You know, um, uh, hearing your photography journey, also um, how you got into the NFT and a little bit about the NFT as well. Now, one thing that I always ask my guests on um, every single podcast is that if there is an advice, one advice, whether it's a life advice, photography advice, whatever advice it could be that you could tell either your younger self or someone else um, in in the space, in the social media, in your community, what would that advice be?
0: Well, I would say to myself and others also is, well, I wish I would have taken more risk in trying to pursue photography Um, not just as like say like an artist but as kind of like my dream kind of national geographic photographer I mean not specifically just for national geographic but that style of story like kind of a photo story but just just doing basically not settling for just any job uh, just because it was more secure you know I mean, I, I guess I was actually lucky that I had a job that was related to photography. And then now with Sloika, that's still, my textbook job is not really as related to photography anymore. It's project management, but it used to be more photography and photography was involved in it. So, but I, I feel like I, I wish I, and it's not like I'm still around. So, I mean, I can still change. and I And I have been inspired recently by all of the, you know, like the the Twitter photography community, I feel inspired to try new things. I'm actually interested in trying like more like I always have done very um, uh, realistic photography, and I actually want to try kind of changing things. I mean, it, it's just art. Then I mean, I mean, it's art. It's photography and art, like digital art combined, or even even learning even learning like 3D, if I can. Yes. I don't know, just to kind yes. of experiment with things. Because like I always was like shooting something as it was re- real, very real. That's how I've always like done it. But yeah, I think like t- at least try try more. I mean, try take a. Re- I mean, not unreasonable risks, but I-, I feel like I wish I would have taken more risks in trying to pursue like my dream career.
1: Fantastic! That's uh, that is such a great advice. I know how that feel, and you know, I've been there. I used to be an engineer, and you know. Um, literally drop everything to become a, a photographer so i i know exactly how that feel and it seems like you're in that journey and i know a lot of other people who are in the journey as well um, to get there and uh like you say right it's um it's important to to get out of uh, to get out of your comfort zone and yeah. to to change uh, to do something that makes you happy whatever it is um i think that is our big purpose in life so Thank you very much for sharing that advice. Um, that is um, so beautiful. Now, for the listeners out there who, um, I know that you have an NFT project on Sloika as well, like um, a collection there. And, you know, you have beautiful photographs as well. So for the people who, and listeners who want to see more of work, who want to get in touch with you and connect with you, what would be the best way to connect with you?
0: Um, I would say probably like on Twitter or like my website, like I have a website, uh, wanderlustphotos.com. And so I can be contacted through my website or like on Twitter or Instagram, like any of those or Facebook, even (laughs) like all the usual places.
1: Fantastic. Yeah. We'll include that in the, in the description below. So if you want to Check out more of her work, you know, she what um, what she's doing in the NFT space as well as in the photography space. And all this beautiful photograph from, from her travel, you know, I encourage you to give her a visit and say hi in, in social media. Um, but thank you very much for being here. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. I enjoyed, you know, um, having that conversation and listening to your to your journey. Um, really do appreciate having you in the podcast.